Hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on episode eight of our MMM podcast, Music is Medicine, Ask the Expert. Before we get into our interview with our special guest, let me first introduce who we are. MMM stands for Music Men's Minds, a nonprofit organization that began seven years ago. Founded by Carol Rosenstein and her late husband, Erwin Rosenstein, Music Men's Minds' mission is to serve seniors suffering from neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, traumatic brain injuries, and PTSD. The story begins with Carol. Her husband, Erwin, fell into the clutches of Parkinson's. Erwin's decline due to this neurodegenerative disease was steep, but one thing kept the joy alive through the late stages of Erwin's life, music. Erwin would light up at the piano and it seems as if the disease was gone, if only for a moment. This is when Carol realized music is medicine. Thus, Music Men's Minds was born. Enjoy episode eight with Dr. Howland. Okay, Dr. Howland, why don't we begin by asking you if you could maybe give us some background on what inspired you to pursue your current research path? Oh, that's interesting. I was just actually writing about this, that back in 1979-1980, children and young adults with autism were really coming out of their homes in um frankly, institutions to be educated and cared for in new and progressive ways, like with Skinner behaviorism, macrobiotic diets. And as I became accustomed to how the spectrum uh, reveals itself, um, what I noticed was no matter the age, no matter the severity, no matter the verbal skills, they were all remarkably musical. So when I first heard the words music therapy, put together, I knew that that was my calling. And so I've long looked for the universal principles of why music would work, understanding it biologically, wanting to bridge art into science and science back into art for better understanding and dialogue between the two. Can you give us a bit of an overview of where your researches have taken you? I am currently a professor at Berkeley College of Music, um, and my researchers have been looking uh, of late at a hospital system near here and looking at swallowing actually was one of the things that we were looking at. Um, and we're looking at cognitive wellness for elders who are vulnerable to hospitalization and anesthesia and how music can support their recovery. Uh, do you have some thoughts as to why music is not used more extensively in our healthcare system today? I think it reflects how music is considered across the board, even in education, that uh, it is not required for children to have a K-12 music education, while other aspects of education are indeed required. I think there's a notion that you have to have talent in order to merit those um, opportunities in K-12 education um, and that there's been this disregard of music in many ways both educationally and, and medically when we really should be putting our eyes directly on that prize. Uh, there's a bunch of articles in the literature that suggest that uh, music can benefit the brain throughout development. Can learning an instrument or participating in a choir late in adulthood also be advantageous for brain health? 
Absolutely. So the old adage that old dogs cannot learn new tricks has been absolutely discarded by research in successful aging. The plasticity of the brain, its malleability and adaptability is available throughout the lifespan. Although it may wane some, it can be uh, re-energized um, through uh, an engagement like music. So for successful aging, um, there are two primary aspects or two primary engagements that have to happen. One is cognitive and one is social. So music is perfect because it does both of that. Now, if people had a proper music education in K to 12, maybe then it wouldn't be new to them in their 70s. Maybe they would be at a different level of comfort and skill set. And um, that's why I'm such an advocate for music education for these reasons, keeping the lifelong learner in mind and not just the child who turns 18. And so uh, having the opportunity to play an instrument and perhaps the right instrument, learning to play piano as an adult is really challenging. The developmental window that would make that easier has long closed by about the age of seven. So, um, other instruments could be like the ukulele, which are far easier, more accessible, even with arthritis, um, which plagues elders, that they can learn an instrument that is better suited to the adult learner. And then, of course, singing is always available to everybody. Do you have any thoughts about um, whether or not music therapy can serve as a viable treatment for those with progressive nervous system disorders like Alzheimer's, dementia, or Parkinson's? I will be leading a workshop this afternoon for people with Parkinson's disease. Um, I've been doing this work with Beth Israel Hospital for a number of years. I especially have started to see the research pointing toward um, treatment from head to toe. So for speech and swallowing problems, singing is really uh, critical for that. Also the joy. Um, there's research that shows that music uh, releases a chills response, which we all have. And that's actually this large flush of dopamine that we get. And so the people that I serve are looking to use music playlists and music experiences as their um, medications wane and it's not yet time to go uh, for the next dosage that they would actually seek to work their own internal dopamine circuitry through the beauty and power of music. With Alzheimer's, I think what Tony Bennett and Glenn Campbell have both showed us is the very strong possibility that being a musician is neuroprotective. Both of their experiences with dementia move far slowly than one would expect. Um, and it was quite stunning to see the documentary and meet Glenn's family and researchers in Alzheimer's. This documentary shows um, 151 city tour after his diagnosis for Alzheimer's. He was in mid-stage Alzheimer's. He continued to perform for over that year. There were times he repeated himself. There were times that he would appear with mild, modest dementia um, symptomology, but off stage, he was moderate to severe. And the difference was clearly night and day. So with music, people are more functional, and we can look toward the skill sets that erode under a disease like Parkinson's 
there where music can actually help strengthen them and bring joy and aesthetic beauty back into their lives. And what I often experience with them is people just sort of have that VA moment where they say, oh my gosh, I forgot my music. I forgot my love of music. And when we bring that back into their lives, um, you see all kinds of things opening up. The members of Music Men's Minds are generally um, playing songs that they've heard in the past, but they also are able, appear to be able to learn new songs as well. Mm-hmm. How can they learn new songs or rhythms in the midst of a, a uh, degenerative disease? It used to be that I thought, you know, there was sort of a spiritual angelic intervention, but it's just beautiful, beautiful biology, which to me is a spiritual experience. The um, When I teach my students about uh, neurology and how the brain functions, how anatomy and physiology are matched, we can identify areas given to visual processing in the back of the brain at the occipital lobe or where all the words that I'm generating are coming from in the frontal lobe, um, at least motorically and then conceptually from the temporal lobe. And they learn this, they take quizzes on those type of things, of course, to learn that, but there's no music center. There is no music center. Music is diffusely activated throughout the brain, both the left and right hemispheres, cortical and subcortical processing. So those remain, even though they share networks with say speech, which singing and speech do share neural networks, when speech goes down, singing continues, um, continues to be accessible. You can see that in the way that people who stutter don't when they sing, or those that have strokes who are unable to generate speech on their own, but are able to sing. And so music is firmly embedded throughout the brain. It is a gift from our prehistoric past. And unless we start to care more about education and medicine with music, it could wane. It could be less salient. Um, People are now more engaged in isolated bubbles of music the sonic bubble experience of walking down the street with headphones in um, when it was ideally meant to be a social engagement. And so all of the benefits really do come from that cognitive and social engagement and remain accessible uh, even long after they can no longer produce it, they can still perceive it. Is there any research about how far back our experience and, and production of music goes in time? There is, I wish there were more, but it predates written language. So we know that Pythagoras was using music prescriptively. Um, and this came at a time when there was very limited music, certainly from the way that we have it now. There were rhythmic instruments, there were gut strung instruments like lyres, but they weren't yet singing in two part harmony. Um, but he was using it prescriptively for people who needed to upregulate, to perhaps run a marathon uh, to Athens or downregulate for those that were anxious. Um, before that, even, uh, we would have to go to the flutes that were found in the caves in southern Germany, which is my great hope someday to go into those caves and uh, play with the sound there, but they're 40,000 years old and thought to predate speech and language. 
that we had music before we had speech and language, which also reflects when we come into the world, we're musical before we, we are linguistic. But those flutes show tremendous effort to carve out the bones of birds and mammoth ivory to make flutes. And I would well imagine in that cave when a baby was crying and a flute was sounded, that the baby would look right at that flute, would localize and would stop crying just like any baby does now. And so I think the codification of things like lullabies, which are seen worldwide having the same elements, must come from perhaps those same sources. It took one researcher who found a, one single piece a year to find other pieces that could be identified as the flute. So how many have we missed and how much older could those be? It's interesting to me that you mentioned Pythagoras. He, of course, is known for being the first person to uh, identify and define the octave. Mm -hmm. um, but is there? do you ever envision that there will come a time when music will assist in the teaching of uh, foreign language, mathematics, scientific principles? No, not necessarily. Although saying that, I will take a look at third graders who are just nine or 10 years old that have to do the heavy cognitive lifting of memorizing multiplication tables. Many children really struggle and lag and all the rest of the math curriculum until 12th grade is built on fluency of them. Schoolhouse Rock did a beautiful job of giving us songs, 369, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 27, 30, in this joyous, bouncy way. Um, and my daughter knew them at two. And when she got into third grade, she was thrilled. She knew that sequence. She didn't know what it would mean, but neither do the children that are just trying to gut memorize. So those things that we have to gut memorize, like addresses, phone numbers, um, conjunctions, uh, parts of grammar, all of those kinds of things would make light lifting for children to, to get those there. That said, um, I would say that during my dissertation work, I used music that kept me in the seat. I would listen to music that first was upbeat, which I just did prior to meeting with you all, getting my mind sharp, getting my, my uh, willies out. And then I had music that shifted me and kept me there, contained me there, because our brains haven't changed since the time of the flutes. And yet the demands to sit and write and read coherently for four or five hours is a challenge. So I think there are ways that people can use music to facilitate attention and uh, prolong co cognitive engagement. I do know um, also that on the adult level, um, uh, pre-med majors have um, poems and songs that they use to memorize things. So it's still present in the um, collegiate curriculum, but I think for K to 12, particularly elementary school, it would give a more even playing field for these cognitive tasks. I uh, asked because I was a teacher a long time ago and one of the teachers that I knew, a uh, teacher of mathematics in, um, in middle and senior high school, um, used music in his classroom. So he would 
go through the lesson for the day, ask for questions and all that. And then he would give his students uh, 20 minutes or so to work on their assignment for the next day. And during that time, he played music and he specifically chose Largo passages from classical music. Mm -hmm. And he seemed to think that it was very conducive to student learning. It is. That's very similar to the um, to the kind of music that I listen to when I'm working. And it has to have, it can have emotional valence, but not the kind of chills experience because that's going to pull me out of just being uh, forward thinking, forward working. Um, I was guesting in a class yesterday where I serve on a school committee at the high school and we got up and danced and I let my students tell me when they need a break and then what kind of break they're going to take. And they can have laughter as a break, watching funny films, or we get up and dance, or we do squats and push-ups to the music because that gives them a chance to energize, um, to let these oxygen hogs of brains get what they need and then sit back down. Plus it tags the class with great uh, positive emotionality. And so they are better apt to remember what we were studying um, because of the way that memories are sorted out while we sleep. If it has a strong emotional tag, then it's going to be better remembered. It was going to be prioritized for remembering. And so I try to infuse my classes with information, with compassion, and with just sheer fun. And I think it aids a lot in learning. I know it aids a lot in learning. Well, those are all the questions I had. Katie, do you have any questions to ask? Yeah, I would love to know, what do you think are the current roadblocks that we have to making music a reliable and regular part of patient treatments? I think that doing research in active music therapy is very challenging. The research that is typically done are putting single individuals into fMRI tubes um, and taking artificial experimental uh, experiences and trying to understand it in real time. That's a real big barrier. I heard a wonderful research project the other day that's happening between Virginia Tech and Radford University. They have uh, EEG caps on people with dementia who are coming in for music therapy experiences, which means across the half hour or hour that they're together is a tremendous flood of data coming in. Furthermore, there are music therapy students that are on the scaffolds around them that are identifying moments that they consider salient to the therapeutic experience to mark and target for the data. This is a very, very complex way to be, uh, for people to uh, be in research, but it would be necessary in order to really unlock the beauty and power of music as a therapeutic inter intervention. We can look at the ways that a musician's brain is different than a non-musician. We can then see that if if somebody like the there's a structure in the brain that is thicker for singers than in non-singers. This structure is often damaged in a stroke. So that to me 
use a rationale for why singing should be utilized as a treatment option. Amazing. And, and I would like to also butt in, this is just so amazing. I've learned a lot over the last eight years. And I talk now about the miracle of the uh, dopamine producing cells in our substantia nigra. Um, my darling husband was uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's later dementia. He had medication issues. They dropped the dose. He became a wet noodle. He would sit at the piano as a wet noodle. And in five or 10 minutes, he would resurrect like a dry noodle. And I saw this repeatedly mm -hmm. and went to Dr. Jeff Bronstein, uh, who is well known in the field of Parkinson and, and movement. And said, um, you're watching the power of music changing brain chemistry. And, uh, and this is how Music Men's Minds was born. Mm. But for me, the biggest miracle is looking at the sequence. It, there are 95% of the dopamine-producing cells in the substantia nigra that are dead before a physician or anyone can make the diagnosis of Parkinson. So here's my darling husband sitting at the piano with 5% of his dopamine-producing cells working. 95% of them were dead. And within that window of time, there was enough flush, enough push for the 5% remaining cells to put enough dopamine into his system to transform him. Mm-hmm. I think that's miraculous. It is. It is. I fully agree with you. And it, I have not non-ending awe for that experience, for witnessing that over and over again. And it's very, very classic. Um, and I think that especially uh, music is an ordered, it's ordered in patterns. It is the essence of order. That's what... Um, uh, Plato described it as, and that order helps order a disordered brain. Rhythm helps at lower levels to um, create the foundation upon which melody, harmony, and all um, can be built. But it's remarkable. Uh, a friend of mine who works with people in comas um, was using what we call an expectancy violation. So for people in comas, when we do sensory stimulation, it tends to be noxious stimuli like clapping, yelling their name, trying to get them to turn toward you. He did the same thing on the other side of this young man who had had an anoxic event from a drug overdose, very severely compromised. They weren't sure that he was functioning at all. When my friend started to sing, Lu, 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 And left out the final note, he turned a full body turn and sang that resting tone or whatever tone it was. It was he, he replaced the expected, anticipated note with it and was nearly on pitch. Um, we can see the way that music is compelling 
motivating. If you watch videos of people having cochlear implants turned on, particularly babies, they are just lit up with the sound that's now entering their minds. Um, you know, and Nina Krause, I'm sure, talked about our brains are built for sound. We are wired for sound. It is sound mind that processes sound um, healthfully. I love her work with concussions that shows just a millisecond delay uh, is indicative of a concussion and the behavioral results we see from that. Um, so sound is really where it's at for the human brain. Wow, this is just quite staggering. I might add also, we work with a company called Harmonic Changes out of Chicago. They are our source for certified music therapists for our tri-weekly Zoom platform that I mentioned to you. And uh, we have uh, interns from the Berkeley College of Music on our Zoom platform, engaging them as to how to handle seniors. Mm -hmm. So I'm just dropping that in your lap in case you can excite some interns who want to work with the seniors engaged in music and socialization on our tri-weekly Zoom platform. I can certainly do that. Absolutely. Yes, we've got Berkeley interns all over California. Wonderful. Um, so we would be ready. I'm happy to work with interns um, myself, having a, an educational uh, teaching background. So, yeah, and today seems like a, a, a multiple organic seed farming day. <laughs> yes, I would agree. And, and your, your information, uh, you, are, you are so clear as a teacher. Um, you do have a gift in sharing the information. And I've written copious notes, and I'm so happy that I've been able to spend the time here today. So, you know, thank you. I'd let Katie take over and, and, and David take over. So I'm just kind of a fly on the wall here this morning, a very excited fly. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your kindness, Carol. Well, if there's no other questions, I will wrap up the interview by saying thank you so much for joining us today on Music as Medicine Ask the Expert. You've shared amazing research findings, and we're so grateful that you were able to come on today and share your knowledge with us. We can't wait to hear more about your amazing work in the future. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about Music Men's Minds, please visit our website at www.musicmensminds.org. If you didn't know, Music Men's Minds is a nonprofit organization based in West Los Angeles, serving seniors with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, PTSD, stroke, and traumatic brain injuries by using music to bring these seniors healing and joy. If this is a cause that you would like to support, please consider donating Music Men's Minds. We accept donations through our website, again, www.musicmensminds.org. Thank you again so much to Dr. Howland for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.